We're going to look at our third sermon in that series, Psalm chapter 8. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so, Psalm chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 1 down through verse number 9. The entire chapter we'll be reading responsively, and Psalm 8 will be a starting point for us, if you will. We'll begin together in verse number 1, and then uh, I'll read every other verse alone. We'll, then we'll read the odd-numbered verses Together, beginning in verse 1. Let's read together. Ready? Here we go. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the path of the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We're going to look this morning at this third sermon in our series, Stand with Commitment, and look at this topic, a life of prayer. A life of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we look at a very important practice and habit that should be installed in our lives. And Lord, help us to begin with a time of prayer each and every day. Some of us have that. Some of us may not. And Lord, to move off of just a a categorized time of prayer, Lord, to a life of prayer. If we're going to be committed, if we're going to stand for Christ, then we're going to need to lean on, on, on You, on Your everlasting arms. And so, Lord, thank You for how You've already moved in our service this morning. Thank You for how our hearts have been prepared And Lord, may the preaching of your word resonate with each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A young woman named Samantha is hired to be the human resources director at a firm. Samantha is a devout Christian and loves God. The environment she has entered is very ungodly. Off-colored jokes and filthy language are the norm. She knows she needs to take a stand. Samantha's gone to her boss and expressed her feelings about things and has her boss's backing. The moment arrives. Someone says something that goes way across the line. Her heart begins to race. What will Samantha do? A teenager named Dominic attends a school where loving God is not popular. His love for God is deep and sincere. He feels a need to bring his Bible to school and read it during study hall once his homework assignments are complete. The the moment comes where it is time to take a stand for what he believes and pull that Bible out of his backpack. He anticipates the pushback he will receive. He expects to be ostracized and called names. Dominic freezes in fear. What will Dominic do? A child named Amelia rides our church bus. 
and hears the good news of salvation and gets saved. She begins to grow in the Lord and develops a burden for her brothers and sisters and parents to come to church and believe in Jesus like she has. Her siblings make fun of little Amelia because Jesus is changing her. The moment comes where she decides to invite them to ride the church bus with her. Amelia's mouth gets really dry and her legs begin to feel like rubber. What will Amelia do? Standing for Jesus when you are with people that love Jesus is easy. Standing for Jesus when it makes you unpopular is far more complicated. Now, four times in Ephesians 6, we are told to stand, withstand, stand, and stand. Someone once worded it this way. All right, here it goes. You cannot effectively stand before man until you have effectively kneeled before God. You cannot effectively stand before man until you have effectively kneeled before God. By way of introduction this morning, as we look at this topic of prayer, let me highlight what I believe to be the five phases of prayer. The five phases of prayer. I've referenced this a handful of times in my pastorate, but I think it bears repeating. I believe that Christians go from having no prayer life to having a very, can get to a place where they have a very effective prayer life. Instead of having a prayer time, they move into a place where they have both a prayer time and a prayer life. Psalm 142 lays out for us desperation praying. Desperation praying. What is this? This is um, 9-11 style praying. This is oh no, we have an emergency in the family praying. Uh, This is, our school just got shot up and now we're in a Columbine type and there have been many since Columbine praying, right? This is a hurricane touched down in in our area and wiped out people type praying. This is when things are going awfully bad, we in desperation turn to God in time of prayer. Now let me say that desperation praying is important and is necessary. And in Psalm 142 we find David crying out unto God in a time of desperation. When times are tough and things are desperate, you absolutely should pray. But watch this. We shouldn't begin praying when it's desperate. We should be praying well before it's desperate. Many, many of us only pray when things are, seem impossible, right? Things seem impossible. You may be here and you may feel like I felt for much of my Christian life. I got this, right? And when I don't got this, then I'll call on God and He can come by and help me. You know, oftentimes why many Christians don't pray, really what it is, it's a statement of God, I really don't need you. I just don't need you. And when I do, I'll call on you. And uh, Christians in that spot, those even lost in that spot, are guilty of that first phase of desperation praying. Now, I'm not here to guilt trip you, but I am here to say if that's where you are, you need to move to phase two. What is phase two? That's desire praying. Psalm 37, verse 4. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. 
and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This is when we begin to pray that God gives us the right desires. And God not only gives us the right desires, he fills those desires. We grow past desire praying into dependence praying, dependence praying. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and perfect gift cometh from above, cometh from the Father of lights within, uh, rather, uh, with, in, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Dependence praying is an understanding that, God, I need you to get me through the mundane, day-to-day events of life. Why did Jesus teach his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Was there bread not already in the cabinet this morning when you woke up? Why are you praying for something that you already have? Because it's an acknowledgement that everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I have is a gift from God. Whether it is the hot water in the shower to the food in the refrigerator uh, to the income that hits your bank account every uh, two weeks or week or, or monthly or quarterly, depending on how you're paid, everything I have I need to depend on on God to have. We grow from desperation praying, praying only in times of desperation, to learning to pray over our desires, and then learning to call on God and understand we're dependent on Him for everything. And then you move into the fourth phase of praying, and that's devotion praying. Devotion praying. What is devotion praying? Psalm 145 through Psalm 150. I encourage you to read that later, but this is just worshiping God for who He is. Christian, it would be a good day in your life where you got down on your knees to pray and you never asked God for a single thing. You're there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and all you did was tell God how much you loved Him. All you did was worship Him. You weren't there to get anything from Him. You were there because you were devoted to Him. You wanted to worship Him. David in these Psalms, Psalm 145 through 150, does not ask God for much of anything, but he sure does worship God for who He is. And then the fifth phase and final phase of praying, these stack on top of each other. You don't leave one behind, you add to it, but it's distribution praying. What is distribution praying? Distribution praying is when you grow to a point where you're praying for the needs of others far more than you're praying for the needs of yourself. A long time ago, I quit praying for God to give me anything material. Why? Because I don't need to. I don't need God to give me a job. Even when I've not had a job, I've not needed to stop and say, Lord, provide me a job, because I know that He created me to work. And I know that He promised in Matthew 6 that He would, if I sought His kingdom first, He would give me those things. All those things would be added unto me. Here's what I find. I find that when I pray for others, by default, God takes care of my needs. Sometimes we're so selfish in our praying. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. What about praying for others? Distribution praying is that fifth and final praise, prayer. Where not only are we praying a devoted prayer, not only are we praying a prayer of dependence on God, not only are we praying uh, for Him to give us the right desires within our heart and then to fulfill those desires, not only are we praying when things are desperate, we pray to distribute for others. Lord, 
if you would send $500 my way, boy, I would use it to clothe those who, who had no clothing. I would use it to feed a hungry mouth. I would use it to give to this missionary who's trying to get to the mission field. Lord, if you would give me a raise at work, I would take a percentage of that raise and I would use it to build your kingdom in heaven, Lord. Lord, if you'll give to me, then I will distribute out to others. I think sometimes God gives to us. He watches us receive. We shove it in our pockets and God says, well, I guess when I give to him or I give to her, it it doesn't get where I wanted it, so I'll have to find someone else to give it to. What if God gave to you, and every time God gave to you, He knew you were going to take a sizable amount of it and give it to someone else? You know what you get to see? You get to see a whole lot lot more money coming through your hands. Because God knows He can give to you, and he, He can rely on you to get it to others. Let me also say by way of introduction, we need a prayer time. We need a prayer time. I've heard people say, I don't have a prayer time, I have a prayer life. Beyond that just being a hyper-pious statement, I also have found that in my own life to be a very inaccurate statement. We'll talk about the prayer life in just a minute. In fact, the title of the sermon is A Life of Prayer. Here's the reality. If you don't have a scheduled prayer time, you most likely don't have a prayer life. Now, I'm speaking from someone who is experienced at trying to get this prayer thing figured out. How many of you have learned that if you don't schedule a time to read your Bible each day, you're not going to read your Bible each day? You all got that figured out? You know, it works that way with prayer too. I want to just ask a question this morning because I think everyone falls that's saved here falls into one of two camps. How many of you find it easier to pray than you find it to read your Bible? Would you raise your hand? How many here find it easier to read your Bible than you do to pray? Would you raise your hand? How many find it difficult to do both? (laughs) Some of you didn't raise your hand at all. How many didn't understand the question? (laughs) I find it more difficult to pray than read my Bible. I love to read my Bible. Love to read my Bible. But every going back into my teen years, there was a time in my life where I was accountable to a Christian school Bible teacher, and I, I read my Bible every single day for two and a half years and didn't miss once because I had him to keep me accountable. I want to make sure that's clear. But I didn't pray every one of those days. In fact, I probably didn't pray half of those days. It's been a challenge for me my whole Christian life to be consistent with a prayer time. Here's what I have to do. I have to put a time down each day and say, at this time, I'm pushing everything else out and I'm going to spend X amount of minutes in prayer. Now, you may not know how to pray. How many of you early in your Christian life, maybe this is still you today, you prayed for everything under the sun. And um, you thought, I have prayed for at least an hour. And you looked up at the clock and you'd pray for 10 minutes. (laughs) How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, must have been an hour and 10 minutes. Nope. It was just 10 minutes. When I was in uh, Bible college, I was just work, running a, a schedule that just had me you know, sleep depraved. And you know, the chapel sermon that day had been on prayer. And I was really convicted about praying. So 
I had about 45 minutes, maybe an hour after lunch before I left to go to work. And so I went into the college chapel after I had eaten my lunch, and they kept it like, Amanda, you went to school there, 40 degrees, is that about right? Maybe 45 degrees, that chapel is freezing. I think they did that so you wouldn't fall asleep in class or fall asleep in chapel. I fell asleep anyway, amen? And I remember going in there to pray, and I got down on my knees, and I had a couple of funny instances, but I'll just tell you one. I fell asleep. I got down to pray, and about five minutes into my prayer, I was snoring on the pew. And I woke up, and I looked up at the clock, and the minute hand had gone all the way around and landed one minute later than where it was when I started. So I had slept an hour and one minute, and I thought, I've only prayed for 60 seconds. Well, I, came, I got up from my knees after a few more minutes of praying, and I went to go out to get my ride to work, and they were gone. They left me. I had to drive myself to work that day, and I was late to work. And I'm like, I, I couldn't figure out what happened. And I had slept an hour trying to pray. How many of you ever tried to pray and you fell asleep while you were praying? Amen? You know what that's like? Uh, and listen, um, uh, I think God maybe looks down at us when we fall asleep in prayer, and he probably gets a big smile on his face and said, well, at least you tried. Amen? But we need to make that effort. We need to have a prayer time. But beyond a prayer time, we need to get to a place where we have a prayer life. A prayer life. Now, begin by scheduling at least 10 minutes at the beginning of your day and then at the end of your day where you pray. Take 10 minutes. You say, man, I get up in the morning and I'm going 100 miles an hour just to make it to work on time. Get up 10 minutes earlier. Here's another idea. Don't hit the snooze button. Get out of bed when the alarm clock goes off. Amen. Why do they make every snooze button nine minutes in length? You notice that? They're all nine minutes. I don't know what that's about. I guess that's just enough to keep you from falling back into a deep sleep. But it's ten minutes in the morning, ten minutes in the evening. Pray over your meal at lunch. That's a great place to start. Pray over your meal all day long. Amen. Uh, but then move from a prayer time, some of you, and then increase that time from 10 minutes to 15 minutes to 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Uh, get to a place where you can pray an hour at a time. Develop an appetite for praying. Some would say that praying is an acquired taste. It's not something that our flesh wants to do. I know when I get down to pray, uh, every single distraction that could come up jumps straight into my mind. All of a sudden, I want to do things that I had no desire to do, but the second I got down to pray, that thing became of the utmost importance, and you have to do it right now. You know, that church member that hasn't been to church in six months, I, I didn't need to text him before I started to pray, but now that it's time to pray, no, you can't pray. You've got to text that guy. You've got to text that person. You know that, uh, that uh, oil change you've been putting off? All of a sudden you can't pray. You've got to take the car to get an oil change. You know what I'm talking about this morning. Have, and, and it's just a practical pointer. I'm going to try to offer you some practical pointers this morning. Um, maybe write this one down. Keep a note card, by, not your cell phone, keep a note card by you. Uh, you need to turn your cell phone off when it's time to pray, by the way. That's a really good practical point. Uh, you're going to get text bond right when you try to pray. Satan's going to make sure that happens. Uh, but put a note card by you with a pen, and little distractions that come up, write them down and push them out of your mind and go right back to prayer. And if something else comes up, write it down and go right back to prayer. But have a prayer time. And then we, that needs to graduate to a prayer life. 1 Thessalonians 5:17 says, Pray without ceasing. What's that mean? 
Does that mean we walk around, Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd give me a good day. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help my coworker to quit being annoying and leave me alone. And Dear Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help brother or sister such and such to quit giving me a hard time. And, and No, that's not what it means. What it means is that we're constantly in a state of prayer. Your coworker comes to you with a problem. They leave your cubicle or your space. Immediately you bow your head and you say, Lord, I pray you would help name your coworker with their problem. You, you, you lose your temper and fly off the handle at somebody and the Spirit of God begins to work on you about that sin. Maybe a curse word slips or you take God's name in vain or you, you, you get an attitude with your children or you have a problem, you, you make a mistake and the Spirit of God begins to work on you. Immediately you drop your head and say, Lord, forgive me for... You're in a constant spirit of prayer. You take everything before God in prayer. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 are two of the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, every corner of it. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Verse 6, in all, in all, in all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. From what I put on in the morning to what I eat to where I go, to who I speak with, to how much time I spend uh, on my cell phone or social media or texting or um, uh, how much time I watch TV, how much time I read my Bible, how much time I pray, who I speak with, who I share the gospel with, who I encourage, who I follow up with. Uh, Lord, what friend needs me to be kind to them today? All of these things come from acknowledging the Lord through a prayer life, a life of prayer, a consistent bowing my head and acknowledging my need for God. Now, our series is Stand With Commitment. Stand With Commitment. Here is the reality. Prayer equals relationship. Prayer equals relationship. Watch this now. If you don't pray consistently, you do not have a relationship with God. Not an active one. I know that stung a little bit. Us men, man, we're self-reliant. I got this. I can do this. Right? You grunt hard enough, you can make it happen. Right, guys? The truth is, compared to God, can't do a whole lot, can we? Prayer equals relationship. You want a relationship with God, you have to pray. I could come to church each week and pretend that I have a perfect marriage and I've got a really good marriage. But if I quit speaking to my wife in about a week, I wouldn't have such a good marriage. In a month, my marriage would be corroded away. Aren't you glad that God does not treat you the way your spouse would treat you if you quit talking to them? He still loves you, but let me tell you, he's not happy about it. Prayer equals relationship. That's you speaking to God. It's important. Prayer equals dependence. Prayer equals dependence. Now, um, we live in a world where we're taught that everything revolves around us. Right? Right? I'm um, three days away from being outside of the millennial generation. 
but by three days I am part of the millennial generation. Can I tell you something about millennials of which I am? We think that we are awesome. Our mom and dad told us we were good looking even when it wasn't true. Our mom and dad told us that we were the best on the team even when we weren't. Our mom and dad told us that we were the smartest in class even when our report card said otherwise. We got participation trophies at every turn. Right? We are awesome. Just ask us. We'll tell you. All right? We're special. We're special. Um, Part of the problem with that is that we begin to think that everything revolves around us. Can I tell you that the world does not revolve around me, nor does it revolve around you? It revolves around God in heaven. God did not put Adam on this planet so he could revolve around him and make Adam feel like he was the greatest thing. God did not put Adam on this planet so that God could bring Adam pleasure. I heard a a famous preacher down in Houston. You know who he is. He said something like this. He said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the front of it. If God had a cell phone, your picture would be on his lock screen. Hogwash on that. God does not revolve around us. We revolve around God. Well, I prayed and God didn't give me what I wanted. Well, if God gives you everything you want, then you're God, not Him. Right? Sometimes God is a good enough parent in His wisdom to look at us and say, No. I've had my children ask me things sometimes that are so ludicrous that I just sit there and I don't even answer them. (laughs) That question was so dumb, I'm not even going to acknowledge it. You ever ask God something and He didn't answer you? You know, He's God. He can do that. We don't have God revolve around us. We are to bring God pleasure. And when we go to God in prayer, He is pleased by that action. Stand with commitment. Prayer equals dependence. It's saying to God, I am reliant on you to meet my daily needs. What should Samantha and HR do with her godless co-workers? Well, she should bow her head and her heart and ask God to give her the wisdom to take, make a committed stand. What should Dominic do at his desk there in study hall? He should pray that God gives him the courage to take out his Bible and read it, no matter the fallout with his classmates. What should little Amelia do with her family? She should ask God to help her have the right words and right spirit so that she can make the committed stand and invite her family to church. To stand with commitment, we must kneel with consistency. To stand with commitment, we must kneel with consistency. I propose that many Christians do not pray regularly because they do not know how to pray. I'd like to take you through an outline of how to pray this morning. Show you how a committed prayer life changes 
the Christian into a devoted Christian soldier for the Savior. Sometimes prayer changes the mind of God. But more importantly, prayer ought to change the character of the Christian. We're going to look at five areas of prayer. Move quickly through these this morning. I'm not going to spend much any time on any of these. But I think you can review these later and um, be helped by them. Most of the sermon this morning will have been introduction. You have an outline there on the back. We're going to move quickly. Get your hand ready, your pen ready to write. Number one, notice my praise time. My praise time. Letter A, notice my praise time offers perspective. It offers perspective. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1 with me again. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You know, David is the one that wrote this psalm, and he says about God, he says, I'm overwhelmed at who you are. I'm overwhelmed at how excellent even your name is. When I spend time in prayer, I first begin my prayer time by praising God for who He is. And when I praise God for who He is, not only does it offer me perspective of who God is, it offers me perspective of who I am. Look at verses 3 and 4. When I consider thy heaven and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, there are times, generally my practice is I'll scribble down three or four attributes or names of God onto a piece of paper, and... um, I pray. I, I praise God. What I like to, de- to describe is an inch wide and a mile deep. You know, sometimes we want to write out twenty names of God and just read those off. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I spend time praising God, I write, like to write down two, three, or four names of attributes of God, depending on how much time I set scheduled to pray. And I'll go into great detail. Sometimes I'll do personal Bible studies on that attribute or name of God, so I have a deeper knowledge of who He is. And when I'm praising God, I praise Him for who He is. But inevitably, do you know what ends up happening? I not only realize how majestic God is, I realize how puny and pathetic I am. David is sitting maybe under a tree watching a sheep. I don't know the historical setting here, but just suppose with me for a minute. He's, he's got his harp and He's praising God and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He gets down to verse 3 and he says, he asks this question, What is man anyway? I'm nothing. There's nothing of value, intrinsic value to me. I'm a wretched, rotten sinner. You see, when I spend time praising God, it offers me perspective of who he is who I am. But my praise time not only offers perspective, letter B, it brings about worship. It brings about worship. Looking back over my life, when I've had not had much of a prayer life, I've not really worshipped God very much. Many churches today have a 
section of their service that they call praise and worship. Praise and worship. And depending on how hard the drum is beating depends on how high the hands are raised. Now, um, I have no problem with hand raising in church. The Bible tells us we are to raise holy hands. And I'm afraid that in many churches across America, Baptist churches included, people live like the world Monday through Saturday. They show up on Sunday, have an emotional song move them. They raise their hand in worship and go right back to living a godless life the next day. You make sure that if you're going to raise a hand to the Lord, those hands are holy. You're spending time in prayer. You're worshiping the Lord. Now, I want to be clear. Raising holy hands is in the Bible. Don't you ever look down on someone at this church who raises their hand while they're singing and praising God. That is just as biblical as saying amen in church. Amen. The question is, what is your motive? You sound off saying amen in church so that everyone thinks you're better than everyone else. Only God knows your motive. When you spend time praising God, not only does it offer perspective, it brings you to a place of real worship. Spend time praising God. Jesus told his disciples when he was teaching them to pray, he said, begin by saying, O Lord, our Lord, hallowed, holy, hallowed be thy name in all the earth. Even Jesus began by praising the name of God. Number two, notice my confession of sin. My confession of sin. This is one we want to, you know, real quick do and skate by, right? Lord, you're amazing. Lord, you are wonderful. You are the Ancient of Days. You are the Lion of Judah. You are the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Oh, and by the way, while we're on this topic of sin, Lord, I probably made some mistakes over the last 24 hours. Forgive me. And Lord, let me move on to the next time uh, part of prayer. You know, spend time confessing your sin. Do business with God over your daily sin. Now, I have gone as far as writing down categories of which I sin. And I confess those one at a time. And I ask God to bring about occurrences when that's happened. And I confess those occurrences. I begin with my eyes and ask God to forgive me for the sins I've committed with my eyes. I move on to my ears. Have I heard a joke that was inappropriate and laughed at it? Have I had sinful something playing or going on in the background and I didn't tune it out or push it to the side? How have my ears been defiled? I move from my eyes and ears to my heart and I ask God to deal with the wrong attitudes of my heart and the pride of my heart and the selfishness within my heart. I move from my heart to my mind and I ask God to forgive me for my verbal thoughts that I have thought and the visual thoughts that I have thought, the 
theater of the mind and those thoughts that are wrong before God. And I ask God to bring about occurrences where these sins have been committed. And I ask God to forgive me of these. And I, I show remorse over these things. I move from my mind to my mouth. Lord, what have I said that has been a lie? What have I said that's been cutting and hurtful and deceitful? What have I said that's been slanderous or salacious? What have I said that's been gossipy? What have I said that has hurt you, Lord? Uh, I deal do deal with the sins of my mouth, and then I deal with the uh, other various sins of my life and my body. And I ask God to bring those to mind. And I spend time, a good 10, 15 minutes each day, confessing my sin to the Lord. When I do this letter A, notice it reminds me of God's holiness. It reminds me of God's holiness. His judgments on me are perfect. Psalm 51 verse 4, the psalmist said, David said, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou just, uh, uh, judgest. He said, he said, yes, I have hurt people, but in comparison to how much I have hurt you, God, a holy God, a perfect God, you are a God who epitomizes truth and wisdom, and I have hurt you with my sin. My confession of sin reminds me of God's holiness. Verse 6, David continued of Psalm 51, Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part that uh, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. You know, uh, you can fool me, I can fool you. We all get dressed up and come to church and we look good and uh, we, uh, we know all the right lingo and words to say and how to behave and uh, we, uh, we can even fool our own husband or wife, our mom and dad. We can go along and act like we've got it all figured out, but God knows who I am down in my heart where no one else knows. When you do real business with God in that prayer, prayer closet, that prayer time each day, you confess that sin. It gives you a real view of how sinful you are and how perfect God is. The truth is, God hates the very sight of sin. Psalm 51, 9, David said, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Why? Because his very spirit is holy. Psalm 51, verse 11, David said, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Thy spirit is holy, David said. Because of my sin, don't cast me to the side. My confession of sin, it reminds me of God's holiness. Letter B, it humiliates me. It humiliates me. David said in verse 12 of the same psalm, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. My confession time reminds me daily of how filthy and sinful that I really am. Have you ever been truly humiliated? You know what it's like to be humiliated? You ever had someone take a shot at you in front of a crowd that just cut you so deep and you, you could crawl under the, the, crawl under the door? You ever been there? You ever felt that way? You ever had someone use their tongue and cut you down? Have you ever done something that was so humiliating that everyone saw and you felt, oh man... I remember when I was 16 years old, I was sitting on the front row of the church on a Wednesday night with my other friends, and I had a white dress shirt on, and I had, 
um, a boil on my back that was very large and it was bothering me. I began to take my back and rub it against that pew and lo and behold, that boil popped right in the middle of church and my shirt was covered in white and red, the back of my shirt. And everyone in church could see it. And the preaching had started. And I sat there and I wanted to slump down under my pew and hide under the pew. I remember church was dismissed. I slid down and I waited for everyone in the auditorium to leave. And I uh, snuck into my parents' vehicle when I thought no one was looking. I don't know who noticed, but it was humiliating. You know, when you get on your knees before God and you get honest with God over your sin and then you realize how holy He is, it's humiliating before a holy God. Letter C, it humbles my spirit toward others. It humbles my spirit toward others. Psalm 51, verse 5, David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and incended my mother to conceive me. Conceive me rather. Listen to this statement. Many relationship problems are seated in a forgetfulness that we are all flawed dirt. It's really difficult for me to look down my nose at you if I'm daily in the presence of God confessing my own sin. You have a holier-than-thou attitude. I can tell you right now, if you're praying, you're praying wrong, and if you're praying, you are not confessing your sin to God on a regular basis. And if you are, you're not doing it right. Because if you really took an honest look at yourself in the spiritual mirror and saw how wicked you are, you'd cut other people a whole lot of slack. When one person calls another person some ugly name, you understand that I'm a piece of dirt. If I call you a piece of dirt... What did Job say? From dust we came and then to dust we're going to return. My praise time, my confession of sin. We're talking about how to pray this morning and how that prayer changes me and, and how I can be committed to God through a life of prayer. Number three, notice my thanks time. My thanks time. Thanksgiving time. Quickly, letter A, notice it eliminates complaining. My thanks time eliminates complaining. Turn over to Psalm 100. And look at verse number 1. We look at this passage pretty regularly around uh, November, the third week in November when we get to Thanksgiving. When I spend time thanking God for the good in my life, complaining goes by the wayside. Verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Look here. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That term, know ye, means become familiar with the truth that the Lord, He is God. A regular time of thanking God for the good things in our lives helps us to know that the Lord is good. It is very difficult to get off your knees after thanking God for all the good that He's put in your life and then turn around and complain. How many of you here are with me and you say, I'm really, really good in my flesh at complaining? Who here is good at complaining? Well, my hand's up. The rest of you are lying. Amen? 
take that to the part about confession of sin. Amen? You get me in the wrong spirit, boy, I can complain about anything. You know? I used to work at Burger King, and I loved it when uh, we'd give people french fries, and they'd come back up and say, these fries are cold. I'd say, your spirit's cold. People complain about everything. You know, if you're really doing a thorough job of praying, it's really hard to complain right after you thank God for all the good that He's just put in your life. Amen? It eliminates complaining. Letter B, it elevates my blessings. Elevates my blessings. Not only does the complaining get eliminated, boy, I start focusing on all of the good that God has put in my life. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. In verse 1, the psalmist began by thanking God for the good in his life. By the end of the psalm, he is using words like good and everlasting and endureth. When we focus on our blessings, it helps Elevate those blessings and elevates our spirits. Being thankful causes us to be even more thankful. Being thankful causes us to be even more thankful. I heard someone say once, what if all you had tomorrow were the things you thanked God for yesterday? Oh! Boy, I'm going to start thanking God for every one of the fingers on my hands and every system in my body and every relative I have and uh, the vehicles I drive and the house I live in and the amenities within my house and uh, uh, all of the people of White Oak Baptist Church, even the ones that aren't always nice to me. And I'm going to thank God for all of them. Well, maybe not the ones that are nice to me. Amen. And no, I'm uh, but uh, we ought to thank God for everything that God puts in our life. It elevates our blessings. Letter C, letter C notice it eliminates spiritual Depression. It eliminates spiritual depression. Look at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Spiritual depression present in the heart of the human population is directly as a direct result of sinful living and sinful thinking. When we daily praise the Lord and then confess our sin, the cause of most depression, not all but most, and then thank God for all the good uh, that He that we have, this action eliminates and shows shoes away sin and its depressing effects. Uh, spend time praising God. Spend time uh, confessing your sin. Spend time each day thanking God. Number four. Notice my supplication. For others, my supplication for others, letter A, my supplication for others brings about obedience. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 35. Matthew 23 and verse 35. Quickly make your way over there if you can. While you're finding over there, I just will quickly make this point that if you don't have a life of prayer, or at least a time of prayer... You're not going to take a stand that is worth anything in the long run. Your stand is going to fall apart. You need to be devoted to prayer. Look at verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus saith unto him, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Look here, verse 39. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, how does this relate to praying? I cannot think of a greater way to love your neighbor than to pray for God to bless them. Right? 
I cannot think of a greater way to be a blessing to your neighbor, to love your neighbor, than to pray for God's blessings on them. My supplication for others, letter B, grows my burden. Grows my burden. When I pray for my neighbor, I'm obedient to the Lord in loving my neighbor as myself. Hey, uh, really quick here. What if you prayed for others as much as you pray for yourself? You say, well, I don't know how to love my neighbor. Well, do you know how to love yourself? We all know how to do that, don't we? Some of you about to go love on yourself real hard. You're about to go out to eat. Right? Why? You're going to order what you want off the menu? Or are you going to go home and open up that refrigerator? You're going to put food in your mouth? Right? We all know how to love ourselves. We all know how to pray for ourselves when things are tough. Boy, let's spend equal time praying for others, if not more. Letter B grows my burden. Galatians 6 2. Um, I went back and listened to Brother Greer's sermon. Pastor Andrew's sermon this past week, they preached in my absence and enjoyed Pastor Andrew's, enjoyed both the messages, but specifically Pastor Andrew preached about bearing a burden. Uh, letter B, grows my burden. Verse 2, bear ye, Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The beauty of church is that we help uh, bear one another's burdens. Bearing someone's burden means that you allow them to share the emotional or intellectual struggle that they are battling. Bearing that burden with them is an agreement to carry that need to the throne room of God alongside with them. Do you know one of the best things that someone can say to me when I'm going through a hardship? Brother Jason, come up here for a moment if you don't mind. If, uh, if uh, I know Brother Jason is going through a hardship... I, I would love it if, if I was in his shoes, if someone just walked up and squeezed my elbow and said, I want you to know I prayed for you this week. Is there anything greater you can do for someone than praying for them? You know, that means the world. By the way, don't lie to people. Don't say, I prayed for you this week when you didn't pray for them. You're all laughing because you've done it. Here's another lie we tell. I'll pray for you. You know, you're better off right there to say, can we pray right now? Amen? If you tell someone you're going to pray for them, pray for them. You, you know a, a friend of yours is going through a hard time? Send them a text message and just say, I spent five minutes in prayer for you today. Boy, that means the world to people. And you know what? It really makes a difference in heaven with God. Thank you, Jason. You see, when I bear a burden, when I bear a burden, when I pray, it grows my burden for others. Letter C, increases my compassion. Increases my compassion. James 5.16 would be amiss if it didn't get mentioned somewhere in a sermon on prayer. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We've been commanded to love our enemies. We've been commanded to comfort the feeble-minded. There is a, comp a compassion take that can get emptied out if you are helping people through your own strength. Prayer for others replaces our own spent compassion. It renews our compassion on people who seemingly just take advantage of it. When I spend time praying for others, my compassion 
toward others is replaced. Letter D, it motivates me to do my part. Take, take your Bibles, we're almost done with the sermon this morning. Take your Bibles over to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 14. I want to read four verses with you here, back to back to back. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Are we okay this morning? I hope the message is a help to you. You're not going to take a committed stand for the Lord unless you have a consistent prayer time that develops into a prayer life. Acts 1.14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and, next word, supplication. That's a deeper prayer. And supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says there, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Look down at verse 37, Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So Peter preaches, and the people are asking, What do we do with what you're telling us? Look at verse 41. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What, what, am I, what am I getting out of here? Some of you know where I'm going with this. Uh, listen, Peter didn't just get down on his knees and pray and ask God to do a work. Yes, Peter did that, but God said to Peter, I'm going to use you to do the work. You've prayed for power. I've given you the Holy Ghost and the power. Now you get up off your feet and you go proclaim the truth and I will work through you to accomplish that action. The story's told about a, a lady who went to visit her friend in another state and she showed up and stayed in this apartment and across the street from her apartment was a liquor store and uh, the lady uh, said, uh, uh, the, the lady who lived there said to her friend, she said, I, I pray every day that God will shut that liquor store down. Well, lo and behold, two days later, that liquor store in the middle of the night when no one was in it burned to the ground and she said to her friend, she said, God answered my prayer and she said, well, I may have been the one who put the feet to your prayer. Amen? I'm not advocating burning down liquor stores. Amen? That's not the point. That was meant to be funny. Amen? Some of you got the joke. Oh, that's dark. That's dark, Pastor. Um, uh, here's the truth. When you pray, God might move you to step up and do something about it. God may move you. You say, I pray that God would save my relative. Maybe He wants to use you to tell them how to be saved. I, I pray that God would grow White Oak Baptist Church. Well, maybe God wants to use you to help be part of the reason why White Oak Baptist Church grows. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help my kids to grow up and love you. Maybe that you need to pray that God would help you be a parent that helps your children grow up to love the Lord. You see, when I pray for others, it motivates me to do my part. Number five, and lastly, notice my personal supplication. My personal supplication. When I pray for my own needs, it reminds me, letter A, that I am a steward. Reminds me that I am a steward. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Here's the reality that you come to when you supplicate for yourself, when you pray for yourself. You come to the reality that nothing within my possession is mine. Nothing belongs to me. 
that sweet gal sitting on the front row that I'm married to, she's not mine, she's God's. I don't belong to her first, I belong to God first. Those children that call me dad, they don't belong to me, they're the Lord's. That car I drive doesn't belong to me. It's the Lord's. The house I live in belongs to God. The possessions I have are God's. The relationships I have are God's. All of the things that God has put in my life, they are not mine. They are the Lord's. And when I pray and I call on the Lord to help me with whatever it is, it is a constant reminder to me that nothing belongs to me. It is property of God. It is on loan to me. And I am to steward it. Lord, give me this. Give me that. Why? So you can use it on your own lust? James 4 says, ye ask amiss, so that you can consume that upon your own lust. Boy, that helps us to pray a prayer that's more accurate. Letter B, it motivates me to live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 gives us the nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such, the Bible says, there is no law. When I pray for myself, I ask God to give me three things. I pray for this every day. I ask God to give me three things. I ask Him to give me His power, His love, and His wisdom. I don't ask God to give me things because He's going to give me what He knows I need. But I ask God to give me His power so that when I help people, God's power is felt through that. I ask God to give me His love. There are times as a pastor where I need to love on people who are not real easy to love. Day after day after day, I ask God, love people through me. Channel your love on others through me. Channel your love on my family through me. I ask God to give me His wisdom. Boy, you wouldn't believe the difficult positions that I get put in. You might because some of you get put in difficult positions. And Lord, I I need wisdom at a moment's notice. When I pray daily for those three things, what am I asking God to do? I'm asking God to help me to live by the Spirit of God in charge. Letter C and lastly, personal supplication empties me of self-reliance. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When the Christian is committed to a life of prayer, the Christian becomes more and more like Christ. When we fall in love with Jesus, His approval becomes paramount. When you come to the place that He is all that you have, you'll find, as the song says, He's all you you need. If you want to stand for Jesus, you must first learn to kneel before His throne, day in and day out, moment by moment. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, unfortunately, we are so distracted by our flesh and the world and our schedule that we can go days and sometimes even weeks and months without having a serious conversation with you. Lord, how that must grieve you. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are scheduled a people who pray. Lord, help each of us to take a good, long, hard look at our schedule and schedule time to pray. And Lord, may that prayer time turn into a prayer life. Others here have a prayer time. 
Lord, help all of us to work to improve that. Lord, we covered a lot of ground today. It may have been like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. But Spirit of God, I pray you would drive home individual points to the people according to what they need. Help us this morning, in Jesus' name.